Hello and welcome to this podcast trailer of Sam's Alternative slash Sam Saturday, four hours of power. Podcast three of three, part one. On this part of the podcast, I'll be chatting to Matthew from Sydney metal band Lona about how the band formed, how they came up with the band name, what the response has been like for warning signs, uh, Metal Alliance, the festival they just played over the weekend. Plus, I'll play two of the songs off warning signs, which are Ghosts and Inferior in part two of the music of the podcast. So why don't we get into the podcast interview with Matthew from Lona. Here it is right now. Evening, Matt. Hey, man. How you going? Yeah, not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, not bad. Thanks. I'm just chilling. Yeah, it sounds like um, Lona had a pretty busy weekend in Sydney over the weekend with Metal Alliance Festival. Yeah, definitely. It was really, really cool. Yeah, it looked like a really good lineup of bands. Burial Chamber, Deprivation, Lona, Pyrefly, Disgust, among others. So, Yeah, definitely. I think um, Alex from Thrax has put it on. I think she worked really hard to secure a good lineup, and it was a really good turnout and everything. So that was really awesome. Yep. And it was at the Factory Theatre in Sydney. That was yeah, so- yeah, that's correct. It was downstairs, and there was actually a pro wrestling show upstairs at the same time. Oh, wow. That's something you probably don't see every day at a live venue. Yeah, apparently um, a couple of them come down and they were uh, getting in the mosh pit while they were still wearing their wrestling masks and stuff. <laughs> okay, that's something I've never seen in a mosh pit at a gig is that uh, wrestlers that are fighting at the same venue then come down to Metal Alliance in their masks and costumes. That's got to be a new one, I reckon. Yeah, there's a first for everything, isn't there? Yeah. And it looks like it doesn't um, slow down for Lona either. For those that don't know, Lona... Sorry, man, you've dropped out on me. Bloody heck. Who? Matt. Yeah, sorry about that, brother. I had a couple of technical difficulties there. You dropped out on me and uh, lost audio there, so I just went out and came back in. Oh, okay, no worries. Well, oh, that was the quickest interview in history, if it was. <laughs> yeah, my bad, my bad. <laughs> no, it's all good, Matt. Technical difficulties happen to the best of us, especially me. I mean, it seems to be my end all the time. Oh, right, right. So, or I've yeah, accident- the internet can be a fickle thing, hey? It can, especially when in different states. Like, for those that don't know, Lona are based in Sydney, Sam's based in Warrigal. So, in Gippsland, which is about a thousand kilometers away from where yeah, wow. we're based. So, but no, the wrestling and the uh, Metal Alliance on the same night, that would have been an interesting mix in Sydney, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. It was pretty cool. And then, um, yeah, like you were saying, we've got um, things aren't slowing down. So we've got this Friday at um, a different venue in Sydney as part of Vex's um, Bite Back EP tour. And then we're playing up in their sort of their home area in Newcastle with them on Saturday as well. Um, And then we've got a bunch of stuff coming up that hasn't been announced yet, but will be shortly, I'm hoping. Oh, wow. So what's this space if you're a Loner fan and you're in the New South Wales area or you just love travelling to live music interstate as well, I guess? 
Yeah, most definitely. I mean, Newcastle may as well be its own state. It's so different from Sydney. It's just like, it's more spread out and the people there are a lot more chill than Sydney. Because mm. it is a couple of hours further on from Sydney. It's sort of, it's not close to Queensland, but it's sort of, you know, it's at least two hours further away than Sydney. So it's sort yeah. of like up towards Port Macquarie and on yeah, the way. Yeah, sort of the halfway Sydney. point between like Sydney and Port. It's sort of in the middle of both. Yeah. I haven't been to Newcastle in that long. I don't even think it would be the same last time. Yeah. I <laughs> but um, I'm just telling you this right now, Matt. You're in for a great treat with uh, Vex HC and Grip Down because I saw yeah, them yeah. a couple of weeks ago and they were fucking insane, both of them. Yeah, hell yeah. That's awesome. I have seen Vex play before in um, in Sydney, but I haven't um, seen or shared the stage with any of the other bands that we're playing with on those two nights. So it's going to be cool to see some new bands and hopefully make some new friends there. Yeah. And um, I think this weekend, live music in all states of Australia is looking like a crazy busy weekend, which is good to see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even on the same day Metal Alliance was on, there was like, I think, five or six local shows plus Murder Dolls were playing around the corner and we still had a very good turnout there. Mm -hmm. So just... It's cool that like post pandemic, a lot of um, a lot of music has just come back in full force. I think a lot of people, myself included, was kind of going stir crazy, being stuck inside. So once things uh, sort of calmed down a bit and we were allowed to go out again, everyone was just keen to get back to you know seeing bands and going out and playing and all sorts of stuff. I feel that as well. The only difference with me, I felt a bit weird going out for the first gig back from all the pre-COVID lockdowns. I just thought, am I actually meant to be in this venue watching this band? Like, for so long in Victoria, we're in lockdown for 240-odd days and just felt so weird going out again. Yeah, I feel the exact same way, man. Like, it was... um... It was kind of daunting. Like you have to, it was almost like you have to readjust to like humanity. It was weird because it was so, like you're so isolated and then you're just, it ends and then you can just go out. But it's like, it doesn't feel normal again straight away. So there's definitely like an adjustment period with that. Mm. And I know a few people that um, still have their concerns about going to Melbourne or going out and doing stuff. I just and they like how do you overcome it? I'm just like I was. We were locked up for so long. I think now there's a risk, yes, but I think I'm not gonna just sit at home in wrapped in plastic bubble wrap or whatever the saying is and just do nothing just because there's a risk I might get COVID. I mean that's not what I'm about. Yeah, exactly. I mean you can't let the fear of getting COVID control you forever. Like I've had it twice. The first time was, was pretty bad. Like I was bedridden for about two weeks. And, um, but the, the, the second time, because I had gotten another booster shot since then, cause I had to get one for a, um, a job. Um, the second time only lasted about like four days and then I was all good. So it, it's, you know, that was lucky the second time because after I had got it the first time, I was very paranoid because of how bad it was. And then the second time, luckily, it wasn't as bad. So that was pretty good. Because I've heard mixed reports about the first one being not so bad and the second time 
being worse, and then some have said it's the opposite. So I guess it depends on the individual, obviously. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I I was working at a like a tourist attraction that had a lot of like human traffic coming through, like thousands and thousands of people a day. So I think that could have been why the first time I had got it was quite bad. Because I remember the first time I got it, and this was really weird because I was on a bus back from Melbourne to Warrigal, and there was probably 10 other people on the bus at most. This was like 11.30 at night. And then the next day I felt like I was coming down with something, like I was sneezing, I was coughing, um, all that. And then I tested positive to COVID. I'm just like, how with only 10 people on the bus? You'd understand if it was 100, but... Yeah. Well, you don't know too because, like, it's just, you know, maybe more than one person had it or it could have just been, you know, how many people got on and off the bus and were touching the rails and the seats and the buttons and this and that, you know, so... It could have even just been a bacterial thing, not that anyone even on there had it. But who no. knows? I'm I'm no expert in any of that medical stuff. I'm just I just drop tune my guitar and play open strings. That's all I'm good at. <laughs> and playing fucking awesome music, pardon my language. Actually, that's no, one thank thing. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> I will touch base on Matt actually um swearing I don't have an issue with on this podcast because the host oh, has sweet. already said the F bomb twice in eight minutes. <laughs> so that's <laughs> Now, this is really rude of me. I actually didn't introduce Matt and the band he's part of, even though we have heard the band he's part of. But Matt is one of the members of Sydney metal band Lona, for anyone that's trying to keep tabs on who I'm talking to. So they released Warning Signs uh, back in September. I can't believe that's five months nearly since that album was released. Where's that Yeah, it's on? crazy. Um, no, it's good. We actually released it on my birthday because I – we spent a lot of time working on it. And so I was just like, you know, I kind of wanted to give something back on my birthday. Like I thought that was just like a little bit of a cool thing to do, just like to share it with everyone on that day, just sort of felt right. I know some people might be like, oh, that's kind of lame or whatever, but it felt right to me. The guys were cool with it. And it just felt like the right time because we had been sitting on it for quite some time before we actually released it. And, um, yeah, we spent a lot of time. There's a lot of hard work, a lot of sort of back and forth and planning and rewriting. Um, originally, we started writing that album during the pandemic, and I was never happy with the results I was getting, so I kept going back and forth. I think I wrote maybe 60-plus demos, and then I scrapped them all and started again, and then I, I kept little bits and pieces of one thing, and then I sort of took those and then used them, like put them together with another thing that I had written, and then me and Don, the vocalist, um, sort of sat down because we lived together at the time during the pandemic, which was lucky. So that gave us a lot of time to sit down and work. Um, and so, yeah, basically the, we were just kind of going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But I wanted to put out something that we were really, really proud of and that we put a lot of hard work into. And I think um, definitely during the recording process and, you know, the quality we got and we used, um, we used a bunch of high-end amps, um we used a bunch of really cool pedals tried a few different things used a couple of impulse responses things like that and yeah i'm really i'm really really proud of the the production quality of it i it's definitely it's it's rare to um find a producer that can kind of replicate how you hear things in your head but i think marava audio who we we went to for that absolutely knocked it out of the park we'd worked with him before on um a different project so 
he, he already knew us and knew kind of what we were going for, which made the process a lot easier. And it certainly has shown in the album quality. Like, I think it was easily one of the best albums of 2023. It'd be my top three warning signs easily. Oh, wow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like, maybe Red Hook and probably Sleep Token only better. But I think, yeah, Lona also one of the biggest finds of 2023. I think 2023 opened my eyes to see how much good music there is out there actually here in Australia and around the world that don't get the publicity that the Bring Me the Horizons, the Architects, the Parkway Drives get. So finding these little-known bands is a gem, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to thank you for that, saying that we're like close to the top three because being up there lumped in with you know, those bands, that means a lot. And And another thing is like they obviously would have more popularity than us and probably bigger budgets for recording. So that just speaks to Marava and, and how good his work is, I think. And, um, you know, Red Hook are out there killing it as well. Like they're obviously, um, they've obviously, you know, kicked, kicked a bunch of goals. I've seen them go overseas and play a bunch of festivals and things like that, which is awesome to see. It's good to see Australian bands making it out there. And then with Sleep Token, they're just on top of the world, really. Like, they're just kind of the number one band in in the sort of heavier, maybe heavy pop genre, I guess. I'm not really sure what to call them. But um, no. they have so many fans. Like, people love them everywhere. And so just to be included in someone's list that high, that's really high praise, and I really do appreciate that. Well, it's one of those albums, and... I mean, it's from the bottom of my heart. You could listen to one time and then you could go back and listen to it again. And that's actually what I did today before the interview with Matt from Lona was I always listen to the album or the single that has just been released by the band I'm interviewing. So I went to listen to Warning Signs. Then I listened to their cover of Israel Sun. But then I went back to Warning Signs because I just wanted to listen to it again. No, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate that. Hey, like, that's that's another thing, too. It's like, I'm glad that we have the reception that we've had. Like, obviously, there has, you know, you can't control everyone or change everyone's mind. There has been some negative comments, but that's going to, you know, every band gets that. So it's just something you have to kind of take in your stride and just keep moving forward. But realistically, like, we're doing music that we like, that we want to hear, that we enjoy making for ourselves and then if anyone else likes it that's just a bonus if anyone else digs it that's awesome and i do appreciate all the support we've gotten um we actually just got a new run of merch too so we we had a a shirt out already but now we've done an like an album art shirt and we've done uh moss shorts and bucket hats with the logo on both of those two and we've sold a bunch of that just at metal alliance before we even had a chance to advertise that we had new merch so That'll probably not last too long, which is awesome to see, like, a, you know, people digging the music and buying the merch. For a band that's only been playing shows since, like, the end of June 2023, so we, we haven't even been an active band for a year at this point, and we, we've already got such great feedback, which is absolutely – I'm just genuinely grateful. Mm. And I think um, the other important thing in that um, conversation there is a lot of people – um, well, I I obviously realise this and I'm not trying to bag out certain platforms, but 
I think merch is where bands make a lot of their money or ticket purchases because a lot of people think, oh, I'll just keep streaming and streaming on Spotify and the bands will get money from that. But it's actually from the merch and the ticket sales the bands make most of their money from. Yeah, absolutely. That and Bandcamp too because Bandcamp is uh, – there. I think they're a lot more maybe switched on to the, the music industry and how things are. So that they – you know, they do like the Bandcamp Fridays and stuff. I'm sure you're aware of that. And, um, yeah, they, they do a lot to support bands and, you know, give discounts and have sales and things like that. And so Bandcamp is really a good platform if you're looking to purchase music and support bands that you like. Um, Bandcamp is probably the maybe a better way to do it. If you Obviously, if you can't get to a show and, and buy merch or anything, if you're looking to purchase music and support bands, I think Bandcamp is definitely the way to go. Mm. And that's a funnily enough where I found warning signs. Well, that and John, the drummer of Loner as well, because John I actually have known from a previous band when he was in engraved for a brief period. So John messaged me and goes, Oh, hey stranger. I'm like, Well, I haven't heard from John in like eight, ten months. And he goes, Oh, have you bought have you listened to our music? And then I'm like, Yeah, I've listened to warning signs and then I said oh, I purchased it off Bandcamp, the whole album, because I liked it so much. And he just said, oh, thanks, mate. That's really appreciative and that. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, I haven't spoke – before that, I hadn't spoken to John probably since 2021. So that's how long oh, wow. it was. <laughs> so, but, no, um, yeah, because for people who don't know, as I mentioned, John was the former drummer of Engraved, then it was Jake, and then now um, Drew. So they've had a few yeah. drummer changes, obviously. Yeah, and John previously before that was in uh, Billabong of Blood, and they're like a pretty cool sort of thrashy kind of metal band. And um, I really dig their sound. And um, we, we actually had met John through um, Tom from Grindhead Productions. And he was also the vocalist of kind of Wissera, if you know them. And, um, yeah, we owe him a lot because he he hooked us up with John and John's really the glue that kind of holds the band together. Like, not that there's, you know, everybody everybody really does. Like, we all get along. There's been not a whole lot of, you know, backstage drama or anything like that. So, you know, but John really is just the, the kind of middleman that just, sticks one side of the music and the other side of the music together if that makes sense like he's really the like the guy and i'm so like genuinely appreciative of how keen he is to play drums in this band because he's he's just such a good guy he's super tight with his drumming like we because we're influenced by like sludge metal bands even though people have gone out of the way to say you know we're not really sludge metal or whatever um, you know, that's fine. People can have their opinions, but maybe I should clarify that when writing some of the newer stuff that hasn't, that hasn't been released yet, but we're, we're sitting on quite a few riffs and, um, we've got a new single that's been written, but it hasn't been recorded yet. Um, a lot of those, a lot of those newer, um, style riffs and songs are definitely inspired by bands like Acid Bath and Crowbar and things like that. So there are sludge metal influences. Um, and I, I really like the kind of down tuned low and slow thing I have for years. So that was just something 
you know, when John came in because he's he's been playing like, you know, a lot of faster metal, metal core thrash, metal, this and that. He was like, you know, playing the, the slower stuff is actually a bit challenging because you're not used to it. And so he's just genuinely excited. Every time we get an opportunity, he's like, hell yeah, let's go. Like, let's just jump in. And he's, he's always saying how keen he is and how excited he is to do things and how far, you know, he, he wants to go. And, um, you know, already like we've had a, a couple of upcoming opportunities to play in the state. And again, like the, for a band that hasn't even been playing live for one year, like that's a huge milestone for us to be able to say, oh, you know, we're going to play an interstate show with, you know, and we're a relatively new band in the scene. So that's really awesome. So super, super grateful to Tom um, from Grindhead and Carnival Visera for hooking us up. And Tom also gave us our first show that we ever played, which was um, back in late June. So I actually didn't think we were ready. And he was basically, he basically said, no, nah, fuck you, you're playing. And I saw, he's like, you better get ready. So we worked really hard. We got tight. We were all confident. And then we got to the gig. And then, of course, we had technical difficulties on my my equipment. Um, and so that was kind of a bummer. But besides the issues, I think we still played pretty well. We got some good compliments for our first show. So that was really fun. So I'm, I'm grateful to everyone along the way, John, Tom, all the guys in the band. Mm. And, like, first shows generally – they're almost they're nervous in a way, but I feel like the second show you play is more nervous and more sort of hard than the first one because the first one you're on such a high. The second show you sort of like, well, how do we better the first show? There's more pressure on us now to keep up that performance. Oh, hundred percent, man! Like the second show we played was um. I believe we jumped in quickly to replace a band at um, Elton Chong in Penrith and they're sort of like a new sort of little dive bar thing. And they're just, when word got out that they're putting on shows because there's not a lot of venues out in the West. Um, when word got out that they're playing shows, they got absolutely hammered with bookings. Like trying to get in there now, I think they're booked out for like the next three months. And so we, we jumped in to that real quick. And then of course, technical difficulties there as well. It's 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 part of the game, I guess, but it is yeah. frustrating with technical difficulties. I mean, it happens to every band. It's unavoidable, really. You know, sometimes places, you know, might have you know kind of dodgy power and stuff. Like I've I've heard and seen instances of of venues that have you know not enough power and people's amps start feeding back really bad because there's not enough you know power draw to power the tubes properly and things like that. Yeah, well, I've been at a few gigs and there was one that stood out to me last year in Melbourne where um, it was only about 15, 20 minutes into the actual set of this band. So I probably still had four or five songs left at least. And the bass player's amp actually just stopped working. Like there was something wrong with the chords or there was something wrong with the, uh, you know, the electrical circuit and it just like really the band did well to you know play on but i mean stuff like that can just especially for a new band can sort of bring you down at oh, absolutely i was very upset at the time because i was like you know these shows were supposed to be better than they were because of those technical difficulties 
And um, it ended up being some faulty cables on my end, which um, we had fixed. Um, so I had my, my pedal board, I had custom built by pedal to the metal. So I want to give a shout out to them too, because he's gone above and beyond for me with all the issues that I've had with the pedal board. Um, so he, he hand did all the, um, custom patch leads and some of them went intermittent and he replaced them all for free, looked after me, had all the stuff done within a couple of days. So I could get back out to, you know, rehearsing and playing shows. So I really have to give him props for going above and beyond and looking after me in that respect. Mm, unsung hero that's probably oh absolutely and that's like that's another thing you know you've got places like i'm sure like my western sydney people will know brad's guitar garage he's the absolute best in the business for um servicing and fixing equipment so you know him and places like guitar factory penis that have been looking after me for 15 years you know all these places that you know they keep our gear in tip top shape and keep our things running so we can play and we can rehearse and we can do this and we can follow our passion. So you really have to give the shout out to those guys that are on the other end of it, you know, keeping your things good for you to keep using. So I really have to acknowledge them because, you know, it's not fair to say, Oh yeah, we did all this ourselves and then not give props to the people that have helped us along the way. Exactly. It's yeah. It's a lot of people I think out there think, Oh, these bands just have come, and, you know, had it served to them on a silver platter, you know, they haven't had to have um, things. Oh, we've dropped out again. Hang on. If you can hear me, I'm going to leave and come back in again. Sorry, brother. Oh, you come back. No, no, that's all right. Did you hear oh, me just then? Did I did go you drop bit... out completely? Oh, because I could hear you perfectly, Matt. I don't know what happened there. All right. No, your end. I think it's your end keeps dropping out on me. Sorry, brother. Oh, no, that's all right. I'm... Yeah, no, um... you, for about 30 seconds, <laughs> you dipped on me. Oh, my phone. Maybe it's time to get a new phone, my PC. <laughs> Because I can hear you perfectly now. All right. I was about to leave and then you came back. (laughs) All right. Well, we've nearly spoken for 25 minutes and I haven't even asked you a bloody question yet. Shit. Yeah, sorry. I tend to ramble on. I get excited. So I apologize for that. Rambling on is welcome on podcasts, Matt. I'd rather people ramble on and talk about the band and that because if they don't ramble on, it would be sort of like, well, what are we going to talk to? And talk about for the next, you know, hour, hour and ten minutes, however long this interview must go. So, yeah, exactly. Well, I got all the time, so you know, whenever you're ready to call it, you let yeah. me know. I'm actually no rush because um, everything else is done for part two of the podcast with the music. You'll hear a double play of Loner in that part as well with Ghosts and the Inferior. So, and both these parts will be uploaded. A little bit later tonight. So, yeah, I'm in no absolute rush. Obviously, don't want to talk for three hours or something. But... <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I get you, man. No, but so what generally happens with the podcast interviews, Matt, is I ask the guest or guests a number of questions about how the band formed, how they came up with the band name, things like that. And then at the end... Matt has the opportunity to flip the table and ask the interviewer a few questions. So I'll give you a bit of time to think about it so I won't put you on the spot. Oh, cool. Now. 
Yeah, sounds good. And at the end of it, also, um, no questions are off limits either when you're asking Matt. Oh, sweet. So, yeah. And same to you, of course, if you want to ask anything, feel free. There's no, uh, there's nothing that I won't talk about. So, no, uh, yeah, I just don't want to feel like, you know, <laughs> making the guest feel uncomfortable. No band or artist has said that, but I mean, yeah. yeah, of course. It's just a respect thing, and I appreciate that too, but it's all good. You can ask me anything you like. Yeah. All right. Well, probably the most boring question of the list, Matt, how did Lona form? Um, originally, I'd started as a solo project because the name was sort of reflecting what I was going through at the time, um, and then I kind of abandoned it, and then Don sort of wanted to take it on because he, he really fell in love with the name. Um and then, yeah, sort of we reconvened and we started working on music. And, um, yeah, it was a long process, a lot of trial and error with, um, you know, what, what tuning we were going to play in, what equipment we were going to use, things like that. So we spent a lot of time going back and forth with things like that. Um, we originally started on baritone six-string guitars, but I couldn't find anything that sort of had the, the specs that I needed for the sound I wanted. So we had switched to eight string guitars and then um, I was using a um, custom Charles Cilia eight string with a 30 inch scale that was based on Meshuggah's Ibanez guitars. Um, and now Josh, the other guitarist is using that. And I've had um, ET guitars from like uh, sort of Southern Sydney, South coast area. Um, he built me um, an eight string. Um, but now we're probably going to look at going back to baritone six strings just for something different. And it's also, they're just a lot easier to play and we're not really using the two high strings much. We do use it in suspect as you can hear the high sort of dissonant part in the intro. Um, but I've transposed that to work on a baritone six. So, um, we might look at doing that and yeah, basically after we figured out what gear we wanted. Um, that's when we started writing demos. We were just demoing with um, like a Line 6 Pod HD Pro and just kind of playing around with that at the time. And then we sort of slowly upgraded our stuff to, um, you know, better monitors and like a load box with um, impulse responses and, you know, um, neural DSP plugins and things like that. So that's come a long way from when we first started. And then um josh originally joined on bass we were a four piece um and then we moved josh to second guitar because he'd played guitar in a, another band previously and then we asked my mate joel to join on bass which he did so now we're a five piece and even though we do play quite low and sludgy um low tuning just having the second guitarist there just fills out the sound so much like it's really really good being a five piece because originally my plan was to run like a wet and dry setup two amps and two cabs and then him on bass but then yeah we i obviously abandoned that idea because we got a second guitar so you don't want to have three three amps and three cabs going or four amps and four cabs going if you have the extra person there so that mm. was that was pretty much that we we sort of we we upgraded our gear we wrote all the stuff and then once all we were happy with all the gear um, that's also why th things took a long time because it was like, it was mostly my fault. Like I was very adamant on what specific gear that I wanted to use for the band and to record with. And so until we were able to get that gear, 
I was holding off. But I think the end product is better for me holding off because I'm so happy with the end result and the tone. So when we recorded the album, I used the Victory Super Kraken on one side, boosted with a Fortin 33. Um, and then on the other side, I used the Orange Rockerverb Mark 350, boosted with a Fortin 33. And that went into um, a Sur Reactive Load IR box with um, a blend of some of Christian Cole, who's a metal producer from Europe, some of his um, impulse responses that he'd made, and then um, a Bogner impulse response, and they were kind of blended, and they sounded so good. Like, that Bogner impulse response was something Marava Audio had. I didn't have that, and we used it, and I fell in love with that sort of simulated speaker sound so much that I asked him for it, and now when I play at home through my monitors with... Um, either the load box or through my like the neural plugins that's like my go-to impulse response for that sound so that was like really the secret source that made it good because um for guitarists that know um celestian vintage 30s are 60 watt speakers but this specific impulse response was of a 1994 model bogner that had the older 70 watt version so there's just this there's just something about that sound that's just absolutely perfect and yeah, that's pretty much that story. That's that's a lot more detail than I thought it was going to be, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like a life story. In the, yeah, the, absolutely. Well, I mean, I spend a lot of time on on this stuff because I really have no skills in anything else. <laughs> oh no, it's fine, Matt. I think that's a very good um, look into um, some some stuff that you generally don't hear in a podcast interview with like different guitars and different amps and sounds and that. So I think it's really well descriptive. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I like, I'm just like a gear nerd at the end of the day. Like I always say to people, like I'm a music fan first and then like a musician second. Mm. Yeah. I think um, it's hard to sort of, put a balance between when you're in a band or an artist, you know, between musician and uh, music fan, I reckon that'd be pretty tough. Yeah, absolutely. But cause yeah, like I started like most people, you know what I mean? I, you know, you're sort of teenager and you discover like Metallica and Megadeth and whatever. And then you get into music from there. That was like, you know, that was so many people's path into it and I'm no different. So I always consider myself a fan and then a musician. Mm. See, my um sort of introduction to music was sort of it was sort of down the similar path with the big four metal with Megadeth and Slayer and Metallica, Anthrax, but sort of the grunge era because my brother was a diehard grunge fan, so it was Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. That was sort of what we were listening to in the house. Hell yeah. I love Soundgarden. One of the um one of the newer songs we're writing is actually very heavily influenced by um some Soundgarden that I was listening to at the time. So I'm trying to do you know, I'm trying to keep that sort of sludginess, but also my kind of at least for this new single, my kind of my thinking was like, what if Soundgarden tuned as low as we tune? That that would sound really good, I reckon. 
And like it's Soundgarden influenced, but it's not going to be a direct ripoff. Like you know, you might hear some part and think, "Oh yeah, that's a bit Soundgarden." Like that's kind of what I'm going for. But I'm not trying to directly rip anyone off, of course. Nah, and I think um, for me, a lot of people say Super Unknown's their best album, but I'm gonna cause a bit of controversy and say Bad Motorfinger is their best album. But it's... I'm actually on. Uh, hang on, is Outshined on Bad Motorfinger? Yeah, and Rusty Cage. Um, yeah, so no, that's my pick too. Because Outshine, that riff is just a meaty man riff. Like that is just like what, like you feel like a man when you hear that riff. Mm. Like it's, it's just so so good. So I that that's my favorite Soundgarden song. So I'll just put that whole album. And Rusty Cage is obviously a banger as well. That's an absolute gem of an opening track on an album, Rusty Cage. Like, they could have opened with Jesus Christ Pose or Outshine, and that would have been absolutely amazing as well. But yeah, Rusty definitely. Cage, I mean, shit. <laughs> and the fact that Chris Cornell could sing the way he could sing and play the way he could play at the same time was like, that guy was just it. Like, you know, at that time, he was like, and I've had this conversation with um, my singer and I've always said like Nirvana with a bigger band, but Soundgarden with a better band. Mm. That is of yeah. course my own opinion. I'm not, I'm not speaking for anyone else but myself when I say that. So if anyone disagrees with me, I do apologize. That's only my opinion. And unfortunately, we have to say, obviously, rest in peace to both Kurt Cobain and Chris Cornell. I wish Chris Cornell was still here, but unfortunately not. Yeah, I'm the same. I um, It's weird because their music is so timeless, like, and they both sort of, well, they, you know, they both pass in really tragic ways, but it's like the music is so timeless, it almost doesn't feel like they're gone in a way. Because, like, mm-hmm. you at least for me, like I put on those, those songs and it's like, you still feel the way you felt the first time you heard them. If that makes sense. You see, like, and this is strange to say, but like, I used to listen to super unknown black hole sun and fell on black days so much, but I can't actually listen to either of those songs anymore, especially fell on black days. Just give them yeah, really good song, but really heavy. Yeah. Like, even Spoon Man, like I used to listen to that so much and now I'm just thinking, nah, when you think about like those three songs, as good as they are and probably the three best songs off Super Unknown, it just brings up too many, you know, feelings, you know, that Chris Cornell obviously was in a, not in a good spot and those three songs I didn't feel had that much negativity about them until I actually sat down and read the lyrics to especially fell in black days. Man. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I um, think that's that's the beauty of music because it does give you a chance to express yourself. And I think it is songs like that. And then obviously, you know, I'm I'm gonna go back and say outshine just because that riff hits like an absolute sledgehammer. But mm. it's those songs with that heavy lyrical content that shows you like, you know, what a good songwriter and and the fact that he was just a human being. He has emotions like everyone else. He might have had, you know, you know, a bit of celebrity status and money and stuff like that. But he he has emotions just like everyone else. Mm. Uh, and obviously, um, that was a, a bad year for music because Chester Bennington also died that year. And 
Alexi Leo, I think, was – oh, no, that was maybe a year after Cornell. Yeah, but, I mean, that was sad as well because Alexi, uh, I believe, was only like 40, 41. Like, he was very young. Yeah, similar age to Chester Bennington, and you think, oh, yeah. that's – And then, of course, Joey Jordson and t- uh, Taylor Hawkins. And, yeah, this last five years has not been good for musicians. But. No, definitely not. There's definitely been a lot of big losses, and like I was, I was very lucky that I've been able to see the Foo Fighters with Taylor before his passing. So that was really cool mm. to be able to see that. And like, like Josh Freese is a monster drummer. Like I think they definitely picked the right guy for the job after Taylor's passing, and because he's an old school kind of rock and punk guy, like he's been around for ages. That dude. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's a very, very good replacement, and. Um... Yeah, I've seen, I saw Foo Fighters a couple of times with Taylor Hawkins back in sort of early 2000s, mid-2000s when they, well, they played one big day out and then they played a couple of shows in Melbourne around the one by one, oh, actually that was the big day out, sorry, In Your Honour era. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hard to believe that's 22 years ago, one by one. It only feels like. Yeah, that's crazy. All my life. I was thinking it was like 15 years ago, and it's like, no, 2002. It's like, really? Yeah, man. I think it's like you have like a bit of – I don't know how to explain it, but like with me, like because of the pandemic, like it feels like time is lost in a way. It's like you lost so much time where it's now – we're like four years or whatever later than we think we are. Mm. It's just no. such a like a trip out to think about because it's just yeah, it's like you know when they say um, you know when they say like if you catch a plane somewhere you have to go back because of the time you lose on the plane. There's like this theory that you you actually lose part of your life if you don't remake up those hours by going back or something. I've definitely heard that saying or that description before. Yeah, I don't know if that's the exact thing. So you know. Nobody listening, don't quote me on that because I'm I'm a bit dumb when it comes to everything. But um, but yeah, no, there was some there's some sort of theory like that, and yeah, so that's like kind of what the pandemic has given me, like that sense of lost time. Mm. Yeah, because if they're like anything that happened in 2019 backwards, so um, is just a blur because. Like, for so many of the 2020 so far, we've been in this unknown period of things happening in the world that were, what, a one-in-a-hundred-year occurrence, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's weird because, like, one day everything's fine and then the next day, like, there's a pandemic and because, you know, we're all sort of, you know, how do I say it, like we're less than 50 years old, you know what I mean? So we, we haven't been around for any sort of major, you know, like events like that, you know, when sort of like, you know, people that were alive in the 70s and 80s, like when the, the sort of AIDS epidemic broke out, you know, that was like a big deal at the time back then. And then so for, the, for that to happen or something similar in terms of the way it affected the world to happen again, um, but during our lifetime is just crazy because it's like that was the first time in my life, anything major like that has ever happened. So it's like a real shock to the system. Mm. 
And it's sort of like we're thinking, so we're being told we can't go out and socialise, we can't go see friends and family or go to live music or go to Melbourne or Sydney or interstate anywhere. We have to sit at home and look at the four walls pretty much. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anyway, back on Yeah, enough about the pandemic. I keep bringing it up. I'm sorry. No, well, it's hard not to, Matt, when it's really dominated the 2020s when we think about it. Yeah, 100%. But, yeah, no, I'll I'll let you ask me some more questions because I keep harping on. I do apologise. I don't – I'm not complaining, Matt. It's fine. (laughs) Don't worry. How did you come up with the band name Lona? Is there a backstory to it? Um. No, not really. I just sort of, um, I was just going through some stuff at the time and I felt alone. And when I was going to do a solo project, I thought I'll call it Loner because that's just sort of representative of what I was feeling. That's that's pretty much it, really. And I like the O, the o in the band because it's got like, it's L-O-N-E-R, but it's L-O with like a, is it a diagonal line or like a slash through the O or something, N-A-R? Yeah, so the thing with that is um, Facebook and Apple Music wouldn't let us use the word loner. It said in the when we tried to submit it for our page name that it said um, the, na- the word loner is too broad and can't be used. So we had it originally, it was like loner-band. And we kind of weren't happy with it, but had to settle on it to get the page up because we we hadn't made any socials um, before Tom told us that we were going to play that first show. So I was like, oh, crap, well, we're going to have to make a page, and come up with a name and then start promoting the flyers and everything. Um, so originally it was Loner Band. And then we tried all these different versions of the word Loner and nothing worked. And then so when we tried... Um, the O with the the sort of cross through it, it actually submitted it. So we were like, okay, we'll just leave it as that, so we can use it as our as our band page name. Because we didn't, none of us were happy with the sort of having the dash band at the end. We just wanted it to say loner. Yeah. And so th- this was the only workaround we could get. Um, and then we had a bit of drama with um, Spotify because we had changed all the all, all the socials and the streaming services to that loner with the slash in it because originally we had the everything that was like loner band with the dash so we changed that but then when we went to upload the israel sun cover um they thought we were two different pages so we had the um get in contact with spotify and get all that straightened out but they were it was a little bit stressful but they were actually very quick with their response and fixed that up for us really quick so we, we do have to give them props for that and if you want your music out there, I mean, Spotify is probably, if not the best platform to get it out onto, it's one of the top three at least. So Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and and the thing is with the Silver Chair cover, um, obviously being a cover, we're not um we're not making any money off that, but we, we weren't intending to make any money off that. So um you can find that for free everywhere if you wanted to download it i believe it's on bandcamp for free download um but that that's one of my like all-time favorite songs and in a few previous bands that i've played in i've always wanted to cover it and everyone has always said no but because me and don are like as close as we are because he's like he's he's pretty much my best friend like i would literally be lost without him 
Um, he's such a good support system for everyone. So I do have to give him my genuine appreciation. But, um, you know, when we were talking about it, he was just like, you know, let's just do things that we never got to do in, in previous bands. And so he was like, basically, if you want to record a silver chair cover, we'll record a silver chair cover. So I was like, hell yeah, let's go. Like it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, but obviously in this band playing, you know, eight strings being as low tuned as we are, um, we we just recorded it in our tuning, which is normal drop D, but an octave down. And the normal Israel Sun, like the silver chair version, is in normal drop D. So we're just playing it the exact same way, but we just slowed down the tempo a little bit and we're playing it an octave lower. But the notes are the same. They're just an octave down. So that kind of worked out. And I feel like that that also gives it like a familiar sense of the original, even though, yeah, like we obviously we changed the ending and, and made it a little bit more of a breakdown and stuff like that. So there is our, there is our own little sort of spin on it, but I'm still grateful to been able to have the opportunity to do that. And I, I was going to say, I actually really enjoyed the cover because I'm a massive silver chair fan, especially frog stomp. And that's probably, if not my favorite silver chair song off frog stomp, it's in the top two with pure massacre. But I, yeah, think it, I think it was done really well because, as you said, there was a bit of a difference to the ending of the loner cover of Israel Sun than the, re- the original. So if you listen to both, you will notice a bit of a difference between the silver chair and the loner cover. It also goes for a bit, bit longer than the original as well. Only yeah, that's, so, I think that that's a, a thing because we we did slow down the overall tempo just a smidge. So I think it dragged out the song a bit. Um, but yeah, we, we actually did reach out to Daniel Johns to try to get his blessing. Like, not that we... So I, I think he'd sold the rights to Silverchair, to, like Silverchair's music to Sony BMG. But um, I just wanted to be respectful because he is one of my favourite musicians. Um, so I did reach out to him to get you know, a blessing to sort of do the cover. And and I let him know, you know, it was kind of a tribute and, a, and like a passion project. It's not done with the intent to make any money, but um, him and his team never got back to me. So we just did it anyway. Yeah, because how long do you wait? Like if you say, give him four to six months, you still might not get a response. And in that time, you could have, recorded it and released it yeah right. exactly it's, so we, we basically were like look we'll just go for it and if you know if, if their label or whatever gets upset we'll pull it down it's no dramas because i had an interesting um case with that it's sort of in the similarity of what you were saying matt but um this was when i was doing a radio show in gippsland um i had messaged ocean sleeper to see like, I didn't want to play a band on my radio show if they didn't give me the okay to play it because yeah. I was sort of at the point I'm thinking, shit, you know, what if this band comes back and says we don't want our music played? So I messaged Ocean Sleeper and I said, is it okay if I play at the time Light in My Dark? And they just, like, got back within two days and just said, hell fucking yeah. And... Yeah, that's sick. They're like, good dudes too. You've got to give them a shout-out. Ocean Sleep are awesome. Oh, they're the nicest people. Uh, well, some of the nicest people in the music industry. There's a lot of other people I've come across just as nice as Ocean Sleeper, but 
I have the utmost respect for all four of the members of that band and Jared, the former drummer, who sadly is no longer with Ocean Sleeper. Yeah, definitely. Like I've um, I've seen them and played with them, or played a show on the same bill as them, um, quite a few years ago, and just seeing how how far they've come and how far they've blown up, and um, you know, they've kept at it for quite a quite a while, and you know, keep growing and growing. So. It's really awesome. And like I mentioned, like with Red Hook earlier, to see them, you know, kind of blow up and get the chance to go overseas and stuff like that. I think Ocean Sleep are on that same trajectory. So it's really cool um, to see them blowing up like that. And, um, you know, congrats to them if they're listening on all their success. Yeah. And um, I think with the thing with Ocean Sleep and very similar to Red Hook, in my opinion, is just how humble musicians they are like i can't speak highly enough like i've met ioni on several occasions carl as well and they are just literally the nicest people that i've ever met and you know we might not catch up every single time they play and that's no disrespect to each other it's just they're they're in a band they're the headliner generally at the shows i go to but i think with red hook and ocean sleeper they're just they're musicians, but they're also people, and they're just so humble and so down to earth. Like everyone. Yeah, well, that's it, man. I think. I think that's that's the thing too, because it's like a lot of people, um, you know, regardless of their status, whether they're local or touring or international or whatever, like they are just people, and a lot of them are really just passionate about playing music. So it, it comes back to that, you know, being a fan of music and being a musician. Like that's really all it is. Mm. And like I've we've been talking for nearly an hour. Fuck, I can't believe how quickly that's gone. Yeah, it's I, been quick, hey. <laughs> I feel like um this is the interviews that I find so humbling is when I don't actually know the person I'm interviewing. And I felt like in the first hour of talking to Matt, he's just a normal guy that's in the band, pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much it, dude. Like I'm just I'm just like a working class person like everyone else, you know. I'm just get up and do my thing. I just love playing guitar. And it shows. And I think um, I, I really hope Lona uh, get to the status of, let's say, Ocean Sleeper firstly and sort of I can see Lona being the next big thing here in Australia in a five-year period. Oh, like, thank you, man. That means a lot, genuinely. I think there's this is the best time to be in the music industry here in Australia. I think now is the time to join because just you look at Alpha Wolf, you look at Void of Vision, make them suffer, Red Hook, Ocean Sleeper, they're all making a name for themselves, not here, just here in Australia, but around the world, which is amazing to see. Yeah, absolutely. And even make them suffer's new single or one of their latest singles, Doom Swish. Like, I am in love with that song. That song is fantastic and even for them you know like to continue on and still produce such great music after everything that band has been through like with you know some controversy and some lineup changes and stuff like it just shows that the core elements that they've always had are still there which is awesome to see like they never lost that that ability mm. i feel like sometimes lineup changes can be the better for some bands like i don't want to sound controversial and all that but 
I can think of a few, not just here in Australia, but around the world that have had lineup changes and the band has actually sort of taken off onto bigger and better things since the band member has left. But well, obviously there's obvious um, exclusions to that. Like someone like, um, of course, you know, Lane Staley from Alice in Chains. They've become big, but that was because... Um, unfortunately, Lane Staley passed away. Bond Scott, yeah, of course. those sorts of things. Yeah, but I think there's a few bands around the world at the moment that have had to um, part ways with members, and they've actually become even better, which is good to see. Oh yeah, Alpha way. Wolf is the perfect example of that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, everyone says, "Oh, they're Melbourne lads and all that." I'm like, um. I think they're originally Tasmania. from Tassie, so yeah. I think Tassie will take them as theirs. So, but yeah, no, like I've been into Alpha Wolf since back in the day. Like this is back when they had the Origin EP. John was the vocalist, and Sabian used to play a Shakta seven string. Yeah, well, that's that is going back a long time. Yeah. actually. <laughs> and um, obviously, they just dropped a new single a few weeks ago. I actually really like Sucks to Sun. Like, I like the idea of rap and metal, if it works, which that it did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, Rage Against the Machine, one of the best rap metal bands of this era. Like, yeah, and that Yeah, didn't worked. they just break up too? Yeah, that was sad. I was like... That was like, oh, a, the- like a week or so ago or something. I, I saw something. The, the drummer said, oh, yeah, we're not playing shows anymore. Sorry. It's like the one band on my um, list of bands I want to see that I will never get to see now because sadly they've split up. Yeah, unfortunately, because they yeah. uh, they're another band that sort of I think they've had a bit of controversy where it was like you know everything was good for a few years and then they either broke up or someone left and you know and it's been documented like they used to have literal fist fights with each other when they would argue and stuff like that. So I think. They were very passionate, but they were also very charged. Um, mm. And then, yeah, I think maybe, you know, some people wanted it more than others or some people didn't want to compromise on their what they wanted to do. And so they had a bit of a tumultuous run in the end. Like they were on, they were off, they were on, they were off. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of did the Prophets of Rage thing that they were doing, which was, I think, wasn't it like all of, all of Rage, but then I think the guys from like Cypress Hill or something. Or was it was a public? It was one of the rap groups. That was or was it Public Enemy? It was one of them. It was Prophets yeah. of Rage or whatever it was called. And obviously there was Audio Slave as well. Obviously it was yeah with Chris. I, I friggin' love Audio Slave, man. Like that 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 album is just mental. I still think for me the best song on self titled is. It's a hard one because I'm a massive fan of like Show Me How to Live and I Am the Highway. I think I Am the Highway is probably my favorite song on the album. But yeah, again, See, for, for me, I think my first, my, my my best two off that album would probably be Like a Stone and um, maybe Cochise just because that riff is sick. Opening track as well, it gets you hooked in, yeah. sort of thing. It's got that same feeling Outshine has where it just hits like a sledgehammer and you're like, oh man, this is just this is such a riff. Like it's it's one of those riffs that you just don't forget. Nah. And I mean that 
song, I think that is the one that actually got me into Audio Slave Coat Cheese because I remember watching Rage one night 20 years ago and it was like 2002. So obviously, Toxicity was released and Songs for the Death. And then Audio Slave came on. And at that time, I hadn't actually heard of them. And then I heard that riff in Coat Cheese and just like, I'm sold already. And then went bought the album, just like yeah, now this fucking absolute amazing album. Yeah, that's sick. That's how it should be. Like when music gives you that feeling that you're like, you're like, oh, what's this? And then you check out something new, and then you, you know, it it expands your, it expands your sort of your knowledge and your appreciation, and that's how it should be. Like discovering new music, regardless of how old you are, is always going to be awesome. Certainly is. And I think another positive there to Spotify is that um, the if you enjoy this band, you might also like this band column. I think I've found a lot of great bands both here in Australia and around the world through that column. So, yeah, definitely. Gems. All right. Well, we've spoken about it a lot, actually, in the hour we've been chatting. What has the overall response been like for Warning Signs? Um, yeah, really good. Like we've had a lot of support. Um, a lot of people have been, like I said earlier, like sort of being a bit quick to jump on the merch and, um, yeah, we've just had really good compliments and and really good support. And it's really cool to see like the scene, especially here in Sydney coming back in such a way where everyone's just trying to lift each other up and everyone's trying to give each other a fair shake now and, a lot of people you see a lot of people are uplifting their friends and that's like so awesome to see a lot of a lot of people are collaborating and things like that so so yeah it's just i think um i think overall people are just excited for new music and so if for anyone listening that does support the band i just want to let you know that i appreciate you and i thank everyone for their support because it does mean a lot to me because this is this is really a passion project for all of us like this is we're just so happy to be doing it. You know what I mean? It's it's something that we're all very passionate and excited for, and we're, we're really just keen to see where it goes and how far we can take it. And I think it's very important for people listening to this as well to um, give feedback to bands. Like just, say, you know, tag a band or send them a message, share their music, do all that, because bands do take notice of people sharing or liking their music and i mean as matt said you know it means so much to him and the band and it does you don't realize it yeah absolutely like i think a lot of people um a lot of people do get appreciation from bands you know for their support so i you know we're no different if if you support us we're going to be eternally grateful for it if you know if and like i said you know it's kind of we're kind of doing it for ourselves because it's what we enjoy but if just one person digs it then it feels like it's all worth it you know what i mean mm. and you know one i mean i think if you get one message of support from one fan it means like as if a hundred people have sent you the same message it yeah. to think that you just don't know how many people are listening to your music yeah, well, that's it, you know, and like, like I mentioned before, you know, the, the reception has been overall pretty good, although, you know, you do get a few negative comments on some YouTube videos and things like that, but, you know, you can't let it bother you. I mean, 
if somebody doesn't like it, that's fair. You're entitled to your opinion, but you know, it's not going to stop me from doing what I enjoy. No. And I think um, also if it's just a constructive criticism or just a negative comment, as long as they're not attacking the band, I don't think it's an issue. If they start attacking members of the band and don't have it to, don't have the sort of knowledge or the um, quotes or that to back it up, then I think that's more personal if they're doing that. But not many people out there would do that, I wouldn't think. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a couple, but it's, you know, it is what it is. You know, you can't please everyone. Well, it's life in general. Like, there'll yeah, be exactly. people. Yeah, you know, like even in you. the workplace, you know, you're not going to get along with 100 out of 100 people. Well, no. But, I mean, I think if you can get along with 80% of the people you work with, you'd be happy. But, yeah, you can't get along with everyone. That's not possible. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, and, and, and like I said, everyone's entitled to their opinion. If you don't like it, I, I understand it's fair enough. But, you know, there's plenty of other stuff out there that you can check out. So, you know, mm. it is what it is. But that, right. doesn't, that doesn't detract from the support we've gotten because, you know, the support from, like, just family, friends, the local scene, you know, a lot of people have been really, really um, supportive. And behind the scenes, like, we've gotten a lot of advice from, um people as well and so there's like my friend wade from um a band called father dear hands he's been very supportive on like you know how to go about pr packages and things like that so there are a lot of people that that have enjoyed the music and that want to give us their support or advice on how to sort of go to the next step so you know again that is something i do appreciate so anyone that has supported me the band anything i do want to thank you all It's very important to support the local uh, local music scene here in Australia because, um, yeah, it's it it's hard to be in a band or an artist because not a lot of bands out there can make a living just being a musician or in a band. A lot of these people have full time jobs. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's the thing because we're so far away from, you know, like America and Europe and Japan and things like that, where it's a lot easier for bands to sort of tour. And, you know, there's a lot of bigger, you know, record labels are based over in America and Europe and things like that. So for us here, we really all do have to support each other and lift each other up because, you know, we kind of, when we, when we start, we're already almost at a disadvantage because of how far away we are. And so, and again, it's like Alpha Wolf, you know, they, they were grinding for like 10 years, and, but now they're at this insane level that they're at and it's because they never stopped and they were consistent. Mm. And, yeah, just 10 years of grinding away and now it's paying off for them, which is really good to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I honestly couldn't think of like a cooler bunch of dudes, a better bunch of dudes that have worked hard that deserve all the success they've got and like they just announced i believe it's like a, a headlining um us tour and that's awesome mm. and so i've noticed the americans do like the some of them are now saying some of the best metal is down under here in australia which is awesome to see too yeah definitely and i remember like you know when parkway started blowing up around like the mid 2000s and sort of the later 2000s like 
a lot of people were saying the same thing about them. And now look what they're doing. They're headlining all the biggest festivals in the world with like an insane like pyrotechnic show and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, it, it's just that you, you really got to want it and you really got to never give up, especially when the odds are against you because you're so far away from the rest of the world. Mm, definitely. 110% or not at all is probably what I'd look at it that way. But Yeah, definitely. Well, I've only really got two or three more questions left, Matt, because we've chatted about so much over the last hour and five minutes, which I was sort of thinking, shit, are we going to have enough to talk about? But I think we've covered nearly everything in one hour. But anyway. Yeah, easy to shoot, man. I'm all good. Okay, the next question, and I don't know why I haven't left this to last because it's the most difficult of them. If you could change one thing in the music industry, what would it be? Merch cuts. I know it doesn't really apply to this country, but for musicians as a whole, if I could, if I could have it my way, all merch cuts would be wiped. I, I kind of, you got to see both sides. Like I understand why venues do it. They're, they got to keep their doors open. They got to, you know, pay their employees or whatever they do with the money. But at the same time, it's also not fair to take advantage of bands. Like there's a sort of like math core band called the Callous Dow Boys. They were on tour in, I think, Italy somewhere. And the venue tried to put a 75% merch cut on them. So they said, screw that. And they went outside and set up a little trailer and sold their merch in the car park. So like, you know, when you're getting to 75% cut, like that's ridiculous. Three quarters. That's no, nah, that's so unfair. On so yeah, many levels. So, I mean, there was there was a small amount of places here that started doing it. I think a couple of them gave in and, and wiped it. But um, there was a document going around a little while ago that had all the venues that take merch cuts. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think it's sort of phased out here a little bit. But in America and, and in Europe, it's becoming like a massive thing. So that would definitely be the one thing I would change just so every band ever that tours and plays and goes, you know, town to town, you know, they get to put that money back into their pocket so they can travel and eat on the road and things like that. So yeah, definitely merch cuts would be the one thing I'd change. I think that's a really good answer. And funnily enough, that brings us to back to Alpha Wolf because Alpha Wolf were one of the first bands that actually um, spoke out about the merch cuts back. I think it was either late um, 2022 or early 2023 they put up a post about they were getting yeah. cut i think there was also a video of um of them on stage and they were speaking about it and they basically just said you can go and fuck yourselves which is good because it's i think it's 100 percent accurate i mean this band whoever the band may be whether it's alpha wolf whether it's lona whether it's earth caller whoever the band is they're bringing the people to your venue to buy your beers and food and to buy tickets to the show at your venue, there's no right for venues to take a merch cut. Yeah, 100%. That, that's like one of the biggest arguments that's going on is like you guys are making money off the door sales as well as the bar. The bands aren't getting a cut of the bar money. So it's like why do you get a cut of the door and the merch? Yeah, that seems wrong. And what their um, 
message that's all like, oh, we're putting up a table and setting it up for you. What does that take? Like 10 minutes to do. I mean. Yeah, like you may as well just go to Bunnings and buy your own folding table and do it yourself. Yeah. But I'm actually glad because that was what I would change. Like generally I've said merch cuts is something I would change. The other thing that I would change um, with the music industry, but it's like being done to death and this is the answer every time for most people is um, the streaming platforms and the um, percentage of streams. So what I mean by that is um, Spotify. No, like how much they pay bands and stuff. Yeah, that thing. Cause yeah, it's yeah. I, I have seen that like um... – I've seen quite a few articles um, slamming Spotify CEO because, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, we get like three cents a song or 0.3 cents a song or something that's just ridiculous. And so, you know, if you're someone that's like, you know, maybe, I don't know, Metallica or like Taylor Swift or something that's got the fan base where all that 0.3 cents is going to stack up, then fair enough. But, you know, for a local band or, you know, anything like that or a, a lot of even mid to higher level bands that aren't on that sort of massive arena status, you know, getting paid peanuts does affect everyone. Because I remember having a conversation about this on a podcast that was sort of middle of last year and um, this band had received 30,000 streams on Spotify and they said the grand total for those 30,000 streams was $9.30. I'm just thinking crap. that's nothing. Like even if you had a hundred thousand streams, you'd be only getting thirty dollars. It's that's insane. Like, how is that fair? You know what'd be cool? You you know what it'd be cool to do and I don't think would affect their business that bad, considering how much they make off bands anyway. But, like, why not make it a dollar per stream? Because if you get 30,000 streams, your band's going to make $30,000. That that $30,000 can can help a band, you know, either upgrade all their equipment or, like, self-fund a couple of tours or something like that. Yeah, or even, like, if a band had 10,000 streams at a dollar a stream, $10,000 to a band... Like even between five members, it's two grand per member. At least you can say, all right, this is somewhat um, some money that can go towards a tour or recording an EP or an album. $9.30 wouldn't even get you, I don't know what it would get you in a five-member band, but it wouldn't get you much. It'd probably get you like maybe a Big Mac or something, but... Even then, it probably wouldn't get you that much. Hello? You there, Matt? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, sorry, man. This I don't know what's going on, man. We keep dropping out every now and then. Oh, but that's weird. We went nearly like 50 minutes without anyone Yeah, we had a good run. <laughs> And also, it didn't disconnect either that time. So I don't know what happened. Technology. If you hear me yeah. talking to myself, it's not me going insane. It's just technology. Yeah, I think. it's just a dropout again. 
No, that one. I think that one might have been on my end because my phone locked itself. So, um, or maybe if I was bagging Spotify, they'd probably think, "Let's." Just yeah, they're like, "No, nah, screw this guy. Let's let's, let's mess with his audio." But yeah, no, well, I was that... gonna say, um, you know, at a dollar each, like that can get you so much as a band. Like that can pay for so much runs of merch, or like you said, you know, recording an EP, upgrading equipment, self-funding tours, like realistically with how much money Spotify makes and I'm sure their CEO has a giant mansion somewhere, you know, like how much money do you have to hoard? Yeah. I mean, like I feel like they could make enough to share it out a little more than they do. Well, and they've like my um, account now is $17 a month. It's gone up by $4 since last year and i'm like okay i'm happy to pay the extra four dollars a year but give that to the bands and artists and say four dollars a stream i mean that's the thing too like with a band like you know we've got to go through something like a distro kit and then you've got to buy a distribution package that gets your music so you know even you've got to spend money just to get on the platform to begin with or you've got to pay for a membership so like for us to have um, our loaner's music on there and Don and I have a new metal side project called Trench. So we bought like a two-for-one kind of uh, package off DistroKid. And so to even get on the platform, you've also got to spend money. Then you've got to have money for an account to, you know, listen to ad-free music. And so there's a lot of money going into the distribution and the accounts. And then they're what they're making times what they're paying back is like a, a substantial difference. I mm. uh, don't think uh, like I'd like to see Spotify change its ways, but I don't think it's an overnight fix, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. But you know, things are getting better in the industry slowly, but surely. So, you know, maybe one day they might turn around and go, Oh, you know, we, we're going to up our payments a little bit. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, it's the two answers that were given. Obviously, are pretty stop standard ones that get said a lot. But I think yeah. they're the two biggest issues at the moment. And uh, of course, yeah, Alpha Wolf movements also. I think they got charged forty seven percent of their merch cuts of what they brought in. It's just like fifty percent. It's not fair like what, at all. Exactly. Like, what's the point of even selling merch at that point? You know, actually, so another you, thing that I would change about the industry is probably not let Ronnie Radke on Twitter anymore. Okay. That was, yeah. That dude's that just it. beefing with everyone. Like, just just stop. Yeah. <laughs> That's like another thing I'd change. It's like, don't let Donald Trump on Twitter sort of thing. Yeah, it's literally. Like, he's... I don't know, dude just wants to fight everyone. Like, you, you're already famous, man. You've got nothing to gain from fighting with, you know, lesser popular bands. Like, just go about your business, man. Yeah, I think some people, musicians and people in general, Matt, just want to start fights on social media just for something to do. And you're just like, really? Yeah, there is, there is definitely like a... a a small portion of it that are kind of desperate for relevance. Mm, but yeah, what do they call them? Keyboard warriors. 
trolls. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think I don't know. Maybe he just maybe he thinks he's being funny, but then it always seems to turn into like he goes, "Oh, I'm a fucking psycho, and I'll fucking fight this whole band and blah 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 blah." So you know, I just don't think it's necessary to get on there and just ramble like that. No, like you've already got a big platform. You've already got fans. You've already got money. Like what? What? What do you have to prove when you get on Twitter and you just go, "Oh, I want to fuck up this band"? Like he just it's, had a big beef with Sanguis Silverbog, and they're, you know, they're they're kind of blowing up in the death metal scene. But you know, obviously Ronnie's been around a long time. He's a lot bigger than they are. But you know, it, it, they kind of smoked him on Twitter a bit, and he was getting roasted by their fans and stuff. But it was like you know, you didn't need to go on there and start any drama for whatever reason. So. Yeah. See, retaliation is the worst thing you can do on social media. If you retaliate, then it just gives the other person ammunition and then a war starts pretty much. Yeah, exactly. That's it, man. All right. Well, on that topic, which band would you like to be the support act for? Anywhere here in Australia, around the world? Um. Either Crowbar or the Acacia Strain, for sure. Well, the Acacia Strain were only just here in Australia last month with Dying Wish and a few yeah. bands on their local tours as well, which was good. Yeah, they played um they played a venue out, out here in the West that was about 10 minutes from my house, so I went to that and saw a lot of friends there, which was awesome. And it was a floor show, so there was no stage. So I was right up the front in front of um, Mike Recon and I chatted with him a little bit about guitars, and he gave me some of his stage-played picks. So that was awesome. And Vince gave me the mic for um, a grab during Beast, which was sick. And then um, I just – it was funny. I just got a new pair of glasses not long ago, and um, I stupidly didn't take them off. And then so as soon as Beast kicked in, all these people jumped in the front. This dude jumped on me, and my glasses got knocked off, and they got trampled on instantly and destroyed. So I had to oh, go get a sorry. new pair yeah, so that was a bit of a bummer, but outside of that, the show was absolutely fucking awesome. Oh, glasses aren't cheap either, not that I would No, I dropped those. like 300 on them, and they were like a brand new set of lenses, like a new style that I was trying. I was pretty happy with them, and then, yeah. But it was my fault for not taking them off. Like, Don was there as well, and he wears glasses. He, um, he took his off. I didn't take mine off. So, you know, that's on me, but I'm not going to let that detract from how good the show was because it was such a good time. I like the idea of floor shows as well. I think they need to be brought back in a bit more than a stage show because a floor um, show, you feel like you're literally on, like, with the band literally there. Yeah, there's there's definitely something that, like, feels way more intimate. Mm. Like, I feel like it allows you to get closer and connect with the band more, but obviously... You know, everyone's being respectful. No one's just, like, sort of touching the band members or anything like that, even though, you know, we're half a metre apart. Mm. Because I I think... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you go, Matt. Sorry. I was going to say, I think with the Acacia Strain, they're, they're a specific type of band where they have so much, like, love and people have so much admiration for their music and their lyrics and... They're, they're like one of those really heavy bands that gets a lot of people through tough times. So I think when they when a band like that does play a floor show, everyone has such a respect for them to, you know, not touch them or anything like that. Mm. Don't do something stupid like the guy at the Architects show in Adelaide did 
Oh, that, I, I heard about that. Didn't he get on stage and like grab the mic or something? Yeah, he's just like you're doing disrespect to Tom and all that. It's just like get off the fucking stage, mate. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It's it only totally... takes one, you know, one guy with that kind of attitude to ruin everyone's night, and then obviously he creates a viral moment, and then it it kind of makes the band look bad. Mm. And like they, you paid for a ticket, and then you go and do that, like you're just embarrassing yourself. Yeah, and obviously, architects are a band that are going down a different path to a like pathway in a sense. Because, um, and like I'm not a massive fan of their new stuff, architects, even though I did like seeing Red, but I just felt like the old school fans just need to sort of deal with it because all bands develop and experiment and sort of try and adjust to new audiences. If you played the same stuff every day, then you won't attract new listeners. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, like, you know, you had, and like, like, for example, you had like St. Anger and that was like everyone hated that album when it came out. But now these days I see a lot of people have like a lot of, love for that album it's maybe just the production quality that kind of let the songwriting down but it was like mm. you know metallica did that and they did death magnetic and that was okay and they kind of but then they did hardwired and that was actually quite a, a the step sort of back towards their more thrashy or hard rocky kind of stuff um so you know and 72 seasons was quite good too like it's not my not my favorite metallica album but you know they are sort of you know, you're, you're able to try something new. If it doesn't work, then, you know, you can sort of go back to what does work. Mm. And that's because... weird. That's another thing, too, because it's like, sorry to cut you off. That's another thing, oh, too. Yeah. But, like, with, with Slipknot, it's like every time they say they're doing a new album, everyone in the comments section is going wild, going, oh, you know, but it's not Iowa. It's not going to be as heavy as Iowa. But it's like you can't expect a bunch of dudes that are 55 to make albums they made when they were 20. Like, come no. on. And also, probably doesn't help when two of the original eight members are no longer alive either. So you're not going to get Iowa without Joey and Paul. I mean... Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know. I think some people just hope for the best and think, oh, Slipknot can just go back to the old days. But I don't know. It's my look on things. The interesting thing, though, is that... um. I think also with Saint Anger was the it was between two good albums. Like that's a similarity with Red Hot Chili Peppers and One Hot Minute, I reckon, because it was between two of their best albums. I think if Saint Anger was released later, it could have been a better album than what it was at the time. Hello? Hello? Ah, sorry, man. My phone locked itself again. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. No worries. Sorry. Bloody fuck. Sorry. Yeah. I was uh, just saying with the same anger, the interesting thing is, though, and this happened with Chili Peppers because when they released One Hot Minute Chili Peppers, it was between probably their two biggest and most successful albums in Californication and Blood Sugar Sex Magic. I'm thinking yeah. maybe the same thing happened with Metallica with Saint Anger. It was just released at the wrong time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, maybe 
I, f- I feel like a lot of and because they tuned down quite quite low on that album especially for the time like if that album had come out maybe either a couple years earlier or a couple years later depending it, it would have been really cool like i think it might have gone over well but i think you know obviously that everyone makes jokes about the snare and stuff like that so i think if that album had because i don't think the songs are bad i just think the production is bad mm. So if it had been a production and it had maybe come out at a, at, at a time where, you know, obviously the band was going through tumultuous stuff, like I think James went to rehab and they they just lost Jason and stuff. Like, I don't know if that was the right time for them to be in the studio. Um, mm. So like, you know, maybe they should have taken care of their issues first, reconvened, got a new bass player, then done the album, made, and, you know, let's say the album came out, you know, 18 months later than it did and had different production. You know, who knows? It could have ended up being, you know, one of their more massive albums. Mm. And, yeah, it's... But it's certainly not their worst album. I still think Lulu. That was an abonishment, Lulu. Yeah, I wasn't super into that one. It was, you know, like props on them. You know, they've got the the platform now where they have diehard fans so they can experiment and... You know, if people don't like it, they don't like it, but it's not going to hurt them to the point where they're going to start losing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, well, that's pretty much all that Sam's got to ask. We've nearly found an hour and a half of it as well. Hard to believe. Yeah, no, it's Um, been good. I've really enjoyed this chat, Matt. So now the tables get turned. If Matt has any questions he wants to ask the interviewer, Far away, no questions are off limits either. Um, geez, what what should I ask? If you were gonna start your own band, what would you call it? That's put me on the spot, but I like it. <laughs> what would I Haven't been asked it? that one before. I've been asked what instruments I've I would play in a band. I actually haven't been asked if I was in gonna start a band, what would I call it? So I like that. Hell yeah. First time for everything. By the way, this is actually the first podcast I've ever done too, so I want to say thanks for having me on. Oh, well, I didn't even realise it was your first podcast, Matt, because the way you've been speaking, it's been professional. I thought you'd done like 20 or 30 interviews. Like... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I've done one interview in the past, but yeah, no, this is the actual first time I've ever been on a pod, so I do appreciate you giving me the time. Oh, I'm happy to have you back on. Well, maybe not next week, but certainly in the future, more than happy to have you back on. Hell yeah, sounds good. Well, now I've got to think of a band name. What would I call it? Um, I don't know. Actually, let me let me rephrase the question. First of all, what genre would it be, and then what would you call it to suit that genre? I'd feel it'd have to be sort of either grunge or new metal. So I'm thinking, sort of maybe. An Alice in Chains, I don't know, Limp Biscuit sound to it, something in that mix. Now, what yeah. to call it? Sam and the Head. Now, nah, Sam and the Headbanger sounds really lame and dull, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's got to have my name in it somewhere, like Sam and the Thrashers or something, something really metally sound. Same as the thrashers, maybe. Hey, it could work. I yeah. mean, there's a there's a um, there's a band from Wollongong 
here called Shawnee's Angels, if you've heard of them. So Shawnee is the singer's name. So it's just named after her, really. So, um, you know, you can name it after yourself. That's fine. And it has worked for some people with their name in the band. Not many bands, but it certainly worked for um, a few bands here in Australia and around the world over the years, obviously, in all genres. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all right. You can go with Sam and the Thrashers. I think that'll work. Yeah, and I'll play the drums. I just love bashing instruments and making as much noise as possible. So I'll play drums for me. Hell yeah. Drums are, cool. drums are cool until you have to load in and load out. Oh, yeah, that would be a nightmare, especially with stairs and that. Like, <laughs> don't envy oh, yeah, drummers. Like, there's a venue um, here called the Chippo, and it's kind of like a, a bit of a basement area. And there's just, like, you can pretty much only get down there by, like, this giant staircase. Um, so when we played there, there was just, like, just... I mean, the show itself was awesome, but like having to carry gear up and down stairs is like my biggest pet peeve in my life because mm. it's just so draining. Well, make sure you, if you're in Melbourne and you're playing a gig, I would suggest probably not to play the top in town because that is the biggest flight of stairs I've ever seen in a live venue. It's like oh, wow. five or six flights of stairs to the top where the stage is. I'm like, Surely there's got to be a lift there somewhere. Who's going to walk yeah. up five or six flights of stairs with equipment? <laughs> Especially like a big bass drum or, you know, like, you know, because you, you do get amp heads that weigh, you know, 20 plus kilos. Like carrying that up all those stairs is a nightmare because we've done that before up and down stairs. And, yeah, I, I feel like, you know what, I, I might change my answer from – from before from merch cuts to putting an elevator in every venue. Yes. I like that idea as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, there's a venue here called the Burdekin, but they always have like, they've got like a ground floor, then they do shows upstairs, but then they have parties above where the bands play up on the roof and the higher levels. And so there's always people coming and going and there's like a massive flight of stairs and their elevator is tiny like you can only fit four people in it and so when there's people going up and down constantly from you know going from level to level or different parties or coming and going and then you're trying to get up and down with music gear and you know and usually like for the shows i've been there for there's a massive wait time for the elevator people go up they come down they go up they come down and then so yeah that that's another thing i put big elevators in every venue if i'm not going to change merch cuts i'd put elevators in every venue that has stairs that's a, I like that idea. That's an answer that I've never heard before for that. But it actually makes sense now you think of it because there are a lot of venues here in Australia that do have stairs and lots of them. So, yeah, most definitely. One place, um, I was down in, in Melbourne with Don, um, around August last year and um, we went to see my mate's Deadweight 80 play at the Bergie Band Room. That venue was sick. Oh, fucking love Bergie and Deadweight 80. What a band as well. What a hat. Dude, they're like Australian every time I die. Like, they're just so good. They're very tight with their songs. And, um, but yeah, no, when we seen them play that venue and just the sound, the vibe, the venue itself was really cool. The beer garden out the back is really cool. So I hope, um, I hope we get a chance to go down there and play at that venue because that place was awesome. 
the the best thing I like about the um, burgie, and there's not a lot of stuff I don't like about it. Actually, there's nothing I dislike about the venue. I actually like the idea of the toilets and the beer garden and the pool table and all that out the back of the venue. I think that's really well done because there's a lot of venues that I've been to where the toilet's next to the stage or next to the bar and you've got people coming from all different directions. If you're trying to get to the toilet, there's people at the bar. I think they've done that really well, Bergy. Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a really good layout. So I it's cool having like being able to kind of walk in the front, go into the venue, and then have everything at the back of the venue. So like the venue is like the the foremost part of the building, which is sick. So it, it shows you that a place like that is putting emphasis on having bands play there because the venue is the first part of the building. Also, really nice staff there as well. I've never had an issue with any of the staff members that I've dealt with at the Bergwin, whether it's getting into the venue or at the bar or anything. So, yeah, I'm a massive fan of it. Just don't get there much, despite living in Victoria. That's yeah, I've only been yeah, there. I like think four, I think years. people that aren't from Victoria and that haven't been there don't realize how much of like an actual spread out place it is. Hmm. Because I drove down to Chuka not long ago, and that was like, it was so long because I'd, I'd never been there before, but my partner's from there. And so we were, um, we drove down there, and it was just like there was so much land in Victoria coming down through all the kind of farms at the top to get to the sort of cities at the bottom. And it's like, I didn't realize how long and how like widespread it was until I did that drive. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's, that's a feral drive from. Sydney to Wachuka, that'd be... That was like a solid, like, 10 hours. Yeah, I was going to say, it'd have to be at least 10 hours. Because it was good. It was mostly driving straight the whole time. Mm. And the Chuka's a nice place, not that I've been there in so long, but, um, yeah, it's right up there on the Murray, and the Murray River area is quite nice as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really nice out there. It's just sort of cool little country town. Everyone seems really chill there. So, yeah, didn't get um, a whole lot of time there, but um, we probably will end up going back soon. Yep. Oh, yeah, but if if anyone's listening to this, there's two things out of the Bergie. Check out Dead White 80 and check out Bergie as well. If you haven't checked 100%. out Dead White 80, you're missing out on a lot. Trust me. Yeah, well, we um those shows that haven't got announced yet, two of them are going to be in March, and they'll both be with Deadweight Eighty and um Warbear. Oh wow, that's Warbear just dropped their EP. Is that late last year or early this year? I can't remember. The time frame's just gone blur. <laughs> yeah, I feel that, dude. But yeah, no, um, Josh from Deadweight Eighty's um putting these together, so. Got to give a shout out to him because he's also one of the people that like, like I said earlier, like Tom, um, he's one of the people that's really like gone out of his way to help us and look after us. So I, I really have to give him my, you know, my uh, my genuine thanks as well because it, it's cool to have so many friends and people that want to see you do well. And that's how it should be in the scene. So there's a lot of people that look out for us and help us and, you know, give us their time and give us opportunities. So I do have to be grateful. Mm. 
And I think it's very important, like, as you said just then, like, uh, it's you're all in it for the same reason. Help each other out, you know. Uh, uh, the other thing I'm a big stand on is um, if you want people to go to your shows or other bands go to your shows, if all possible, attend other bands' shows as well, not just your own. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that. That's how you network as well. Like you know, if you go out, and that's it. You know, that's kind of been what we've done for a lot of the a lot of the shows we played. If we don't know the bands, like you know, there's bands like Whisperhead and um. And other bands that we've played shows with that we didn't necessarily know, but then we ended up networking and we're like, oh, you know, if you guys come up, let us know and we'll bring you down kind of thing. So, you know, it's all just about networking, making friends, and then everyone supporting each other. That's how it should be. It really is. So it's cool to see that other bands are on the same mindset and that want to help out and also want to be helped out in exchange. So, uh, 100%. Totally agree with that. Well, I hate this. Is the part of the podcast I actually hate the most, Matt, is when the interview has to end eventually. Because yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's the only pet peeve I have of podcasting is when the interview has to end and it's been a great interview, which tonight has been, but probably is time to maybe wrap up this interview, given it's nearly gone for an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, totally understand, dude. Sorry that I've rambled on so much, but I do appreciate you having me on. And um, I hope for anyone listening, they do know that, um, you know, myself and the rest of Lone Eye is, is truly and genuinely appreciative of the support we've gotten so far. We're grateful to all our friends. We're grateful to all our supporters. And we're grateful to anyone that gives us the time of day to check out our music. And hopefully we can see you all at a show soon. And, um, yeah, I'll have Matt back on the podcast like any guest that I've interviewed in a flash. Maybe not next week, but maybe a few months down the track, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we could do a group on with some of the other guys next time or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not fussed really when it comes to podcast interviews. It's generally Matt who's just available on the day. Sometimes it can be one member. Sometimes it can be three or four at it doesn't really bother me. I feel like, yeah, maybe the next one, maybe if uh, like Josh or Don or someone is available, like maybe they could come on with you as well if that works. But we'll see. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we should get John on as well so you and him can have a good old chat. Yes. Um, if anyone wants to hear the um, <laughs> podcast interview I did with John when he was in Engraved, there were some really weird topics discussed about that. <laughs> podcast (laughs) Justin Bieber's name dropped about 10 times in that interview and it's still on Spotify which is funny because everyone's like oh can you listen back to old podcast interviews my the first interview I ever done is still up there so So that's a yes (laughs) yes but um no um as Matt said, please check out Lona and they do appreciate all the support people give them. Um, if you haven't checked out Warning Signs or Israel's Son, check them out after this. You'll hear Ghosts and Inferior on part two as well. And, um, yeah, I'd just like to thank Matt once again from Lona for being on the podcast. I've had the best time as usual and really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. No, no dramas at all, man. Thank you for having me and letting me 
let me speak and promote my band and give props to everyone my, and my friends and yourself included for the support you've given us. I know you spun us a few times and you've tagged us in a bunch of Facebook posts and helped get our name out there. So I do appreciate all the work you've done as well. Thank you. I hope it's not too much. No, nah, not at all. No. Nah. And you will get to hear, um, I'll send you the links very shortly to both parts, probably within the half hour, if that, depending how quickly Spotify wants to upload it to the um, profile page. It might be five minutes, ten minutes, who knows, this time of night. Yeah, too easy, man. Well, I look forward to it. No worries, Matt. Well, enjoy the rest of your Monday evening and we'll chat again soon. Yeah, you too, brother. Thank you. Bye. No worries. Bye.